Awesome. Now we know you're awake this morning. It's so good to see everyone here. Um, we celebrated birthdays, Ben had a birthday, but also Opperman family, both of them had both birthdays in one week. So let's give them a hand as well. I feel like we've been celebrating birthdays for the last two weeks. Or we don't, we don't have to. Awesome. I'm very, very excited to bring the word this morning. Uh, who was here last Sunday when we started our new series on Jesus Is? Jelle was daar, ja, ja, ek sien die gezichte. Fantastic. So we started, for those who were not here last week, we started with a new series uh, called Jesus Is. Why are we talking about that? Because there were seven statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus made about himself. And we call it the seven I am statements. And the reason why we felt in our heart to actually do a series where we go deep into the Word to understand what did Jesus actually say about himself is because we are on this quest to grow in our revelation of Jesus. Amen? We are on a quest to grow in revelation. And why? Let's just first say, what is revelation? Ons gebruik altijd een mooie term in Afrikaans, openbaring. Ons soek een groter openbaring van wie Jesus is. We are looking as believers, as disciples of Jesus, we want to grow in that revelation. And what is a revelation? It's an act of revealing to know or to make known. To know or to make known. Something that is revealed and enlightening. And enlightening. And you know, sometimes when I hear the word enlightening, I often think of different types of faiths. I don't always think of the word enlightening. We don't speak about it much, that specific term. But you know how many times in Scripture it speaks of the word enlightening? It speaks of being enlightened by the Spirit of God, by the light of Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the second statement that Jesus made in John 8, and he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I feel like I just want to pray. Can we just pray before we start? Lord, we thank you this morning for the honor of just being able to gather and to open up your scripture, to open up your word, and to be able to receive what your Holy Spirit wants to teach us this morning. And Lord, we pray that we will hear from you today. We pray, Lord, that you will open up our eyes that we might see what we've never seen before. We pray that you will enlighten our hearts. As Paul prayed, Lord, that you, would, that you would fill us to overflow with your light. I pray, Lord, that every seed that is sown from your word would land on fruitful soil. And we pray that the water of your spirit will rain on the soil of our hearts and that those seeds will grow and they will grow and they will grow, and they will produce a mighty powerful harvest in our lives for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay, so fantastic. So I thought, let's just go backtrack a little bit. Johannes did start last week, but why is it important that we should have a revelation of Jesus? We gathered our leaders in the week as well, and we were talking about the same thing, and we were talking about, okay, you know, it's great to pray, Lord, I want a revelation of you, but why, if we just take a step back, why do we need a revelation of Jesus? 
Why do we need to know more? Isn't it when we know Jesus, we know Jesus. If we've accepted Jesus, then alles is okay. Well, actually, I believe that in our natural understanding, and Paul actually also says this in the book of Corinthians, that in our natural understanding, we are not able to understand the things of the Spirit. In our natural being, you and I, with our finite minds, as clever as we think we are, we, it's impossible for, under, for us to understand from our flesh the things of the Spirit. So therefore, we need revelation. And there was this powerful story. Who remembers the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to the village Emmaus? And so right after Jesus was crucified and the ladies went to the tomb and the tomb was empty, okay, and everyone was freaking out and they were like, well, Jesus died, but now his body is missing. What is going on? And these two disciples, the Bible says, were walking. And they were freaking out, and they were asking each other and talking about, well, they were, the Bible says that they were discouraged. They were downcasted in heart. You know, Jesus was the one that they had put all of their hope in. Not just hope that he would redeem Israel, that he would relieve them from Roman rule and all these things, but all these other promises that Jesus made, and now it looks like he just died, and now his body is missing, and that was the end of it. And the Bible says this profound thing thing. Hallelujah. Dis vir gebeur as jy net een koppie koffie drink voor kerk. Ok, you can turn to the gospel of Luke verse 20, or Luke 24 verse 27. And I actually had a lot of scripture this morning. I took some of it out, but I left majority of it in you version. So if you are one of those people that like to get the word into your heart properly, then you can find all of the scriptures in you version. But it will also come up on the screen, and it says this, Luke 24, verse 27. So now what happened is these two disciples are walking down the road of Emmaus, and suddenly Jesus joins the walking party, and he starts walking beside them. But the Bible says they were prevented from recognizing that it was Jesus walking. And so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing? What are you talking about? And they replied, I think I love the scripture so much. I think I've mentioned it a million times here. But they replied, and they were like, where have you been? Do you not know what has happened here in Jerusalem? Do you not know about Jesus being crucified and died? Have you not heard that his body is missing? And they are like, waar is jy nog die altyd? Is jy op die And Jesus goes in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses, and throughout all the writings of the prophets, he explained and interpreted for them the things referring to himself found in all the scriptures. What is all the scriptures? It's the Torah. It's the first book, books of the Old Testament. New Testament was still being, it was still happening. In other words, what is Jesus saying? He's saying everything in this book, everything in the scriptures that you have been taught, that you have been raised upon, points back to me. Everything. Jesus didn't appear in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, I mean. Jesus is right throughout scripture. Jesus is the word, hallelujah. Okay, everything points back to Jesus. All right, so I feel like this morning will be like a bit of a Bible school class. Maar wie hou van Bijbelschool? Okay, drie gesiendes. All right, so what is our point? What is the aim? If I, if I call myself a teacher of the word, what is my aim on a Sunday morning when I bring the word to you? 
The aim is actually for me to just point out Jesus. And the Holy Spirit ministers to you, and the Holy Spirit opens up and opens up our eyes so we might see Jesus for ourselves. I can't make you see Jesus. I can just point you to the scriptures and lead you to him, and then you find him for yourself, and that's where life starts changing. That's where life change happens. As Amalakai for Ohan. Amen. My job is to lead you to Jesus. All right, the entire Bible is filled with Jesus. Who can see you did, Marissa? Go to John 1 1. We're going to stay in the Gospel of John, but we're going to start in John 1 verse 1. John 1 verse 1. And you know the scripture, I feel like we quote this all the time, but this is a central piece of doctrine to understand the rest of what is going to follow when we do this series. It says this, John said, In the beginning, before all time, was the Word, Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God Himself. Jesus didn't appear in the book of Matthew. Before all time, I am. He was there. And we're going to touch base in Genesis a little bit later. But Jesus has been everywhere. He's been here before the beginning of time. And that's why he says everything in the entire book, in the entire Bible, 66 books, points back to him. And you know, Johannes and I have been on this fascinating journey. We are just getting so excited. Our whole Friday night, we talked about where else do we see Jesus? That's what we brought us, we Okay? And so... There are many ways, if you've done Bible school, or maybe this is new to you, and I want to encourage you this morning, like, we're going to be a church that studies the Bible, and this is such an amazing exercise to do. The more you do it, the hungrier you become in your bro's gaan anders begin like. This is going to be all that you want to talk about. It's so amazing. There's an image going to come up on the screen, and you know, there are ways that we can identify, but where was Jesus in the Old Testament? I'm not just talking about people always think, oh, when we say Jesus was in the Old Testament, we think of all the prophetic words that were prophesied about Jesus. But there's so much more. Every single scripture points back to him. So there are four ways that we can find Jesus. There are ways that we can find Jesus. The first one is this. It's called a Christophany. A Christophany. Groot word, but what does it really mean? The Greek words just means Christos, which means Christ, and Phenin, I don't know if that is the right pronunciation. You can check pronunciations with Johannes, but it means to appear. So a Christophany is every time that Jesus appeared in the Old Testament before his incarnation. In other words, in a different form. Okay, I'll give you some examples. Remember when Hagar the slave of Abram and Sarah, and she became pregnant, and Sarah chased her away, and she ran into the wilderness. Remember that story in Genesis where she sat in the wilderness, and the Bible says, the angel of the Lord came and met with her. Who was the angel of the Lord? It was Jesus. How do I know that? If you go read through the whole account, she, says, she said to him, you are the God who sees me. If it was just a normal angel, she wouldn't have called him God. That's what he says. 
Another example, remember the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and they were being led by the, the pillar um, of fire and the cloud by day and by night. And remember they got to a place where they were thirsty and they were complaining to Moses about the water and Moses hit the rock and the rock produced water. Who was the rock? Was it a rock or was it a person? Hallelujah. The rock was Jesus. How do you know that? You just made that up. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 10. He said the rock itself was Jesus. The rock produces the living water. Amen. Volg iemand my. Is it net ek of is it so super exciting? Come on. Okay. Then there was Gideon. Remember Gideon in the wine press and Gideon was all like insecure and all those things. And then it says, the angel of the Lord came and visited him and called him mighty man of valor. Who was the angel of the Lord? Jesus. Who was the fourth man in the fire? Jesus. That's a Christophany. Does that make sense? A Christophany. Number two, the way that we can find Jesus in the Old Testament is through types and shadows. Types and shadows. In other words, that is something that foreshadows, explains how Jesus would come and fulfill that very thing in the new covenant. So in other words, we read about something in the Old Testament, but it's not just something like Passover. It's not just a festival. It's actually a foreshadow and a type of what Jesus would come and fulfill in the new covenant. I'll give you some examples. Remember the sacrificial system where the Israelites had to uh, sacrifice a perfect lamb without blemish. Remember, there was, there was a lot of criteria on the perfect lamb. What does that foreshadow? The perfect lamb that would be sacrificed for all time on the cross for once and for all. It's a foreshadow of how Jesus would come and fulfill it in the New Testament. And when you, can you see, like when you read through those lenses, when you study the Bible through that lens of Jesus, everything starts to become clearer. Everything starts to form a different picture than trying to understand a blocky Old Testament and a blocky New Testament. It's not how the Bible was put together. It's one story, one king, his name is Jesus. Amen. I'm super excited about this. Even as I'm preaching, I'm getting more excited. Okay, number three, another way that we identify Jesus in the Old Testament is through, you know, different historical events, things that happened that also point back to Jesus. Who remembers when Abraham, when the father asked him to sacrifice his one and only son? What does that sound like? The father having to sacrifice his one and only son for the sins of the world. It was a historical picture of what Jesus would come and fulfill. My goodness, this is awesome. Number four, I feel like this is a category on its own, but the tabernacle design. Through the book of Exodus, I've been reading through it with a different lens since the beginning of January. And remember when the Lord said to Moses, this is how you're going to build the temple. So lang moet die ding wees, so veel moet die materiaal wees. This, that, and the other, all these specific requirements. And when you read it in isolation, you think, oh my word, Lord, how intense. But what was the temple referring to? He says, think about this. The high priest 
the one that the only one that could offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people the high priest points to our high priest Jesus the high priest the showbread the bread of presence we spoke about it last week what does that refer to the true bread of heaven Jesus is the true bread of heaven the showbread was the bread that they had to put in to the tabernacle he's our true bread of life the lampstands what does the lampstands refer to Jesus the true lampstand the light of the world the light of the world the incense altar who is our intercessor today in heaven Jesus there's many more examples but I just wanted to make the point that I'm hoping comes across clearly that when all is what he says of the owner of Nida that's why we do a truth course because truth is a person the entire tabernacle was a blueprint for getting into the presence of God and it points to God's salvation plan through Jesus Christ and i want to encourage you as you do your study this year of the bible ask the holy spirit lord show me jesus no matter whether you're reading from leviticus or whether you're reading from revelation show me jesus because in that we will become enlightened in other words we will receive revelation and when we have revelation church it will change everything about our lives when we have a revelation of who Jesus is when we look at our circumstances if my circumstances are behind me when i look at my circumstances but i look through the lens of Jesus as Jack said this morning my entire perspective will change my entire way of living and doing and being will change this is good news for the people that don't want to do life as normal and i don't know about you but i want to live a supernatural life I want to live a life where Jesus is king and when you come into my presence you will know who is the king. Niemand ek is awesome, niemand hy is meer. I mean, so if that's your heart's desire then this sermon will encourage you big time. Okay, but let's get into the second statement that Jesus made. Go to the book of John, we're still in the book of John, John 8. And this is going to be our key scripture for this second statement that Jesus made. John 8 and we're going to jump to verse 12 but stay in John because we're going to go back and forth because when I started doing the study I realized you can't actually stay in John 8 if you read John 8 you need to read John 7 but you also need to read John 9 in order for this whole teaching of the light of the world to make sense go I could so boy him to say you're out my this is so amazing John 8 verse 12 It says this once more you can underline if you like to underline in your bible once more Jesus addressed the crowd and he said I am the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life once more Jesus addressed the crowd why does John say once more Obviously when he says once more that means he was already teaching at another point. So I want to know I want to go back into John 7 to understand once more in other words what did he teach the first time? Because it will give me context to understand what this once more teaching then means. Now it's very very interesting if you go to John 7 and I've got it on the screen as well just turn back a chapter 
in verse 2. John 7 verse 2, it says this. Now the Jewish feast of tabernacles or booths was approaching. Skip down 12 verses in John 7 verse 14. And when the feast was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple court and began to teach. So there we see in Jerusalem the Feast of Tabernacles, which was also called the Feast of Booths or uh, Sukkot. I pronounced it differently. I can see so good with pronunciation, but your heart is what counts. Amen. Johannes, correct me always on my pronunciation. Okay, so what was happening? The festival, the Feast of Tabernacles was what type of feast? The Israelites came together, the Jews, and they celebrated the time that the Lord had led them and provided for them in the wilderness. So they would come together, and for eight days, seven or eight days, they would come together, and they would actually build temporary shelters, temporary booths, temporary tents. Amper soos het die woendo uitreik, amal slaan hulle tent op. And they would stay in the tents, which represented the temporary dwelling that they had while they were living in the wilderness. While the Lord was their cloud by day, their fire by night, led them to the water, led them to the places of supernatural provision. So they would celebrate this festival. So this was the context. And it's so incredible to me how Jesus was so precise, so specific. Nothing Jesus did or that he said was just for the sake of saying something or teaching something. Jesus' timing was purposeful and impeccable. He chose that specific time when they were all engaged in this festival. And when the festival was almost over, it says that once more he went into that very court where they were celebrating to teach, to get ready to teach this idea of being the light of the world. Why is this significant? I want to show you a picture on the screen. During this Feast of Tabernacles, there was a ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. And if, the, if you can see the pictures there, the four candelabras, but all the lampstands, the four lampstands, everything inside of that temple were lit up every single night to celebrate, as we said, the pillar of fire at night that the Lord had led them through, the, the fact that the Lord gave them light to see. Okay, and this is significant because on the last night, Jesus gave, or the next morning, actually, when all the lights went out, the next morning, he did this teaching of I am the light of the world. So against this backdrop, in fact, this illumination of the temple ceremony was so huge, people were singing, they were praising, they were celebrating, and if you go and read some, do some historical research, they say that this illumination of the temple was so huge that the entire city of Jerusalem was lit up at night. So they thought this was a light, and Jesus comes against this backdrop the next morning at the end of the festival when all the light went out, and he goes, I am the light of the world. I thought that was profound, hallelujah. That's amazing. And basically, what were they celebrating with this light? They were celebrating, as we said, that the Lord had led them, the Father had led them through the pillar of fire at night. Let's go read that scripture if you want to go back to the Old Testament. Exodus 13, verse 21. 
Exodus 13, verse 21. It says, The presence of the Lord was going before them by day in a pillar, a column of a cloud, to lead them along the way. And underline this, a pillar of fire by night to give them light. Goedemorgen, is aandag met my. To give them light so that they could travel by day and by night. What is Jesus saying? You thought that was the light. I am the light. I am the pillar of fire that led you in the wilderness. I am the one that has always given you light. They were also celebrating all the prophetic words, and there were too many for us to fit into this morning. All the prophetic words that they knew. They knew about the prophetic words about the Messiah to come. And one of them was this, Isaiah 9 verse 2. You can go to the book of Isaiah. One of the prophetic words that they were also celebrating, they were still waiting for this Messiah to come, remember? Didn't quite connect yet that it was Jesus. It was a reminder they were celebrating this festival of tabernacles that God has promised to send the light to renew Israel's glory. They were anticipating this light to come, to release them from bondage, to restore their joy. And this is what Isaiah said, the people who walk in spiritual darkness will see a great light. And those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. Jesus comes and he says, you don't need to wonder anymore. I am the fulfillment of every single prophecy concerning the light that will come. I am the one that is the light. Don't look at that. What you have just been celebrating, you've been celebrating me. I am the light of the world. And Jesus uses this festival, such great timing to say, and give them this revelation that this was he. To pl- proclaim that he's indeed the light that they were celebrating. Now, it's interesting because the Greek word for light is phos, P-H-O-S. And that means the light, anything emitting light, brightness. This is the word for light in John 8 verse 12. Now, the word for darkness, listen to this. That Greek word for darkness in John 8.12 is scotia, defined as the darkness due to the want of light. Due to the want of light. Ignorance of divine things. Ignorance of divine things. In other words, when I don't have spiritual sight of the things of God, when I don't yet understand the things of the Spirit, When I live in the flesh, I live in darkness. Only Jesus, the light, can take me from darkness to light, from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. Are you tracking with me this morning? That word is associated with wickedness and the resultant misery in hell. Now, I think Craig's going to help me with my little illustration. I want the team to just switch off the lights as a belief, Jason. Sit net voor ons daar die darkness aan. I don't know how this will work, but Craig will help us. And I know we've done the lamp a lot of times, but I want us to just quickly think about this simple principle of the light being lit in the darkness. En ons is nou nie donker genoeg om te weet hoe dit werk. Oh jy, 
Danke, Greg. He's got the light of life. Obviously, it's maybe not dark enough, but what is the principle? In the darkness, immediately when light comes, the darkness is dispelled. I mean, immediately when light comes, and I want us to think about this spiritually, think about this with a spiritual connotation. What was the very first thing that God the Father created? If we go back to Genesis 1 verse 3. In Genesis 1 verse 3, it says that the Lord, the earth was dark and formless and void. It was complete darkness. And then the first thing of creation, it says that in verse 3, and God created, he said, let there be light. And in verse 4, it says, and he separated the light from the darkness. Do you know what Jesus said in John 12? In John 12, he says, I came for judgment. That word judgment means to separate those who are in darkness from those who are in light. He said, I came to separate, to give sight to the spiritually blind. And for those who think that they are seeing spiritually, but they are actually blind, to leave them in their darkness if they don't want to come and walk over to the light. Thank you, Jason. You come up very light, so we can dispel the darkness because we are people of the light. But isn't that profound? Do you know Jesus was part of creation? <laughs> Obviously. The entire Trinity. Again, Jesus didn't appear in Matthew. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And it was dark. And when Jesus came, there was light. Jesus is the light of the world. Lord, help us to understand this. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and all who are separate or far from me live in darkness. He actually said that in John 9, sorry, not John 12. I came into this world for judgment to separate those who believe in me from those who reject me. When we do not have Jesus, we live in darkness. And many of us know people that we are trusting that the Lord will open up their spiritual eyes, that they can see. I was having a conversation with a friend again this week, and she said to me, oh, she's getting so frustrated with this person in her life because they're so blind to the truth. They cannot accept, and she says, I've tried explaining it every single way I know. I've sent every sermon link on. And I said, you know what, my, my first believerness in Afrikaans is that who's the one that can open their eyes? It's only Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I think a powerful prayer that we can pray, and I know many of us in the room can relate to this. I've got people in my life that I'm like, Lord, open up their eyes that they might see the light. Because if they don't see the light, they remain in darkness, and they will end up in darkness. It's just going to be a reality. And I don't want to see people that I love stay in spiritual darkness. We need the light of Jesus. Let's go back to John 1. I told you we were going to jump around in the book of John. John 1, this is another profound scripture that John teaches the same thing about Jesus. In verse 4, 
Now, John's gospel, you have to remember that there are a few themes that he continuously highlights, and one of them is light. So you'll find a million scriptures just in the book of John about light. But in verse 4, he says this, In him, who is him? Jesus was life, and the power to bestow life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it or overpower it or appropriate it or absorb it and is unreceptive to it. There's the scripture in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 where the Apostle Paul talks about this thing of how Satan has spiritually blinded many people to see the light of Jesus. This is the reality of the spiritual battle we live in. And I remember the first time we went on outreaches, this became a real revelation to me to understand the real battle that we have between light and between darkness. And we, we were ministering to people, I remember in Malawi the first time, we were ministering to people that were extremely involved in the occult. I mean, the donkerste van donkerste. And when we would get close, and I remember we're filled with Holy Spirit, we're flooded with the light of Jesus on the inside. We believe it, but we don't realize the power of it until you confront darkness like that. And maybe many of you have experienced that. And I remember we went into this village, and when we would come closer, they would start running. I remember thinking, this is the weirdest thing. When we would get closer into the village, hulle hart loop net alle verder weg. But later we realized it's because the light that is coming through us as spiritual believers is too bright, is too frightening, is too confronting, is too powerful for them. Satan wants to blind them and keep them away from the light. Because when you put light in darkness, the darkness cannot overpower it. And so I just want to encourage us again this morning afresh. Church, we are the light of the world, Jesus said. He is the light of the world, but when we are in him, we are the light of the world. Dear visa and foot them with Jesus beweeg. Dear mine in jouwne. We are supposed to go into the darkest of dark places to go and shine the light. Otherwise, how will the light get there? The Vundu is coming up in June in the school holidays. So if you want to come, talk to Johannes about it. But I remember even this testimony that so, it was such a powerful reminder to me. I heard this testimony of a lady that was um, caught up in the occult. She was actually a fifth bride of Satan. Who's ever seen those Holy Spirit movies? Okay. Funny team at all. Good. This is cool. So, uh, and they shared this testimony of this lady who performed deliverance. She was praying for this lady who was trapped in Satanism. She was a fifth bride of Satan. So filled with so much darkness, so much of the occult. And when someone had brought this lady to the minister who was going to pray for her and lead her to freedom, the moment the bride of Satan girl stepped out of the car and she walked towards the front door where this minister of God was going to meet her, she started screaming to get back into the car. And she said the demonic voices told her, turn around, turn around, don't look at the light. Don't look at the light. And this is her testimony afterwards. She was completely delivered, filled by the Holy Spirit. And I remember her testimony so impacted me that the light coming from that minister of God literally sent this person who was filled with as much darkness as you can imagine, sent them 
turn around and run. Isn't it powerful? Like, Jesus, do we understand who you are? Do we understand the power that is living on the inside of us? And sometimes this explains why you might have clashes with people who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because even without trying, by us just living, you know, Jesus never encouraged us to go around and point out people's sin as a way of getting them to accept Jesus. We don't need to. Just by living as children of the light, our light will shine, as it says in 1 John 1, 5 as well, our light will shine and automatically the Holy Spirit will be able to convict people. I've had this happen many times where I would be in a conversation with someone who's not a believer and I would just greet and maybe we would have a coffee and they'll just start apologizing to me as if I pointed out something they needed to apologize about. It happens all the time. And I've realized that is the light of God shining on the darkness in our lives. Amen? It's all opgewoon in summer for something to warm. Okay. Full of a kalien prat. You know, you can talk back to me. Amen. If you agree, hopefully. Now listen to this. John 1, just go further down from verse 4 and 5. John 1, verse 7 to 9. And John says, he's talking about John the Baptist. This is another John, Jesus' cousin. And he says, this man, verse 7, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in Christ the light through him. John was not the light, but he only came to testify about the light. And verse 9 says, there it was, the true light, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. There it is again, the word enlighten. Enlightens everyone. Do you know the reality is that everyone is looking for the light? But not everyone knows that there's only one light, which is Jesus. Do you know, I, I hear that, I, I said earlier, I think, this word of enlightenment, what does it actually mean? To enlighten means this, to give someone a greater knowledge and understanding about a subject or a situation. Greater insight or knowledge. In other words, we know that Jesus gives us greater insight and knowledge and opens us up to perceive the things of the Spirit. But I thought about, you know, Buddhism, for example. Do you know what the word Buddha means in English? It means the enlightened one. Isn't that ironic? The guy that made up Buddhism, or wat eerste begin het, I think it's something like also 2,000 years ago, I don't know when, he thought he found a light. And that's what their whole religion is based on, teaching of this light that they find through meditation or nothing. Everyone is looking for the light. But Jesus says, I am the only light. The light of the world that will lead people from spiritual darkness into spiritual enlightenment. It's not a, enlightenment is not a curse word for us. We own it like we own the rainbow. Amen? We come truth to us. We truth Yo, hallelujah. I'm not going to go into that. 
John 9 verse 5, just after Jesus taught on being the light, he makes another statement in John 9. Remember we said, we read in John 7 the context of the festival of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and then in John 8 he makes the statement, he teaches on the light. The Pharisees are coming against him in full force. They don't believe his deity, they don't believe his claim to be God, claim to be the light. I mean, they are the ones that you know, believe in Moses, believe in the prophecies, believe in the light coming as the Messiah. Ma vidin Jesus as I am to say, I is dead. I mean, he comes from Galilee. What prophet comes from Galilee? And in John 9, Jesus says this in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Oh my word, and this is my favorite, giving guidance through my word and my works giving guidance through my word and my works. Remember we said John 1, 1, Jesus is the word. Remember in Psalm 119, it says the word is a lamp unto my feet. Oops, door branded. It's a lamp unto my feet. Jesus gives guidance through his word. The word is a lamp. The word is Jesus. Jesus is the light. The word is the light. This is my net awesome. Jesus is the light. If I'm not in the word, I don't have the light. At least I won't know where to walk. I won't have the guidance. My path is donker. It's, it's like Cape Town in load shedding. Every time I go and visit, my mom goes, onthou jou kop liggie, die kamp kop liggie. Das kamp liggies in elke vertrek, because at night, it's a nightmare. Jesus goes, I am the light and I will guide you with my word and my works. What does he mean? What happened in John 9? That can be homework. The entire John 9 is a story where Jesus meets the blind man. Jesus heals the blind man, and he restores his sight. And that miracle is actually connected to the teaching of the light of the world. Because the moment he healed him and he restored his sight to manifest and they were freaking out and they were like, what is going on? No one has ever claimed to be God like Jesus has. In fact, they don't know of any story where anyone has healed a blind man and they've seen such a miracle. So now they're trapped. Either Jesus is God, that's why he's done this miracle, or he's not and he has some kind of a demon. I mean, there were many times in the Gospel of John where they accused Jesus of having a demon, okay? And so the Bible says that Jesus heals this man, and the Pharisees are going, like, freaking out. And they are interrogating this guy, and he says, I don't know, but he healed me. He healed my eyes. And then they started to um, harass and, what is the, interrogate his parents. And his parents got tired of explaining, and they're like, all we can tell you is this child has been blind since birth. He was healed. It's the truth. It really happened. So the Pharisees are like, now they're going to blame him because he healed on the Sabbath. So they're just looking for something to say Jesus is actually lying. He's not telling the truth. He's not God. And so eventually the parents said, look, this is a grown man. He can talk for himself. So if you've got a problem with that, Go talk to the man who healed him or talk to my son himself. He can speak for himself. He's an adult. So the Pharisees come back again. Do I have the scripture? No, I don't think I, I did. But let me just read it in John 9. 
A man born blind receives sight. I think I read it to the team this morning. Okay, so in John 9 verse 24, so they, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day, called again the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man, they're talking about Jesus, is a sinner. Jesus couldn't have healed you. And then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And this man said to them, I told you already, but you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Pensek was And they reviled him and they said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. And they go on and they go on. And then eventually he said, where is it now? I was blind, but then I could see. Anyway, that is Doan. And they continued to ask. And he said to them eventually, look, I don't know if this man is a sinner or who he is or what he is, but all I can tell you is I was blind, but now I can see. And so Jesus asks him a question and Jesus explains to him and he meets Jesus and he becomes a disciple and the Bible says he immediately started worshiping Jesus. His spiritual eyes were opened. The moment he saw Jesus for who Jesus is, he started to worship. Church, worship is an automatic response when we see Jesus. If we struggle to worship, if we struggle to to live a life surrendered to him, then my question to us this morning is, have we seen him yet? Have our eyes been opened yet? Because Jesus said, I have come to bring sight to those who are blind. Amen. John 12, verse 46, I don't think it's on the screen, but you can highlight this as well. Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes and trusts in me as Savior, all those who anchor their hope in me and rely on the truth of my message will not continue to live in darkness. That's the invitation Jesus gave to everyone there and to everyone today. I am the light of the world. If you will allow me, if you will believe in me, if you will believe what I did for you on the cross, I have come to give you eyes to see. I've come to enlighten your spirit. I've come to show you who you have been called to be, why you are here and why you have purpose on this earth. And until that becomes a revelation in our hearts, we will not walk in the light. We'll walk in darkness. But the good news is there is an invitation. And I want everyone to just close our eyes because I really felt like I wanted to pray for some people this morning. I want to just give the Lord a moment to minister to every heart. I want the Lord to minister to me afresh. You know, in Revelation... In Revelation 21, it says that in heaven there will be no moon to shine light. There will be no sun to shine light because the glory of the Lord will be the light. In heaven there will be no darkness. There will be no sickness. There will be no disease. There will be no heartache. All of the things that we've experienced on this earth because of the fall of man, will be restored. 
and the glory of the Lord, the light of Jesus. It will be light all the time. There will not be night, there will not be darkness in any shape or form. That is such good news. For the glory of the Lord is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And church, I want to ask an honest question this morning. And you know what? We're always going to ask this question. Because the Lord always prompts us to. And I want everyone just have your eyes closed because it helps to not look at me, but focus on the Lord. Because I believe that the Lord is ministering to hearts right now. And if you're sitting here and if you're really being honest, have you ever received the light of Jesus? Has your eyes ever been opened to His truth? By light, Jesus means salvation first and foremost. There's this powerful story in the book of Acts of Saul who turned into Paul, the apostle that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And you know, Paul was a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, and he thought that he was serving God, but he was stuck in a dead, dark religion. And there's the story on the Damascus Road where suddenly he bumps into this massive bright light. And it says that the light shone so badly on him that he couldn't see. It struck him blind. It was so powerful. And then Jesus started to speak to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he had this encounter with light. And the Bible says that for three days, Jesus then sent him away. And for three days, he was blind. And on the third day, he received his sight. And after that, everything had changed. When his eyes was open, he immediately began to follow Jesus. And his ministry began. And he became one of the greatest men of the, Old Te or the New Testament, writing two-thirds of what we study and what we hold on to every day. And God used him mightily. But his eyes had to be opened. He had a salvation experience in Damascus. And I want to ask if there's anyone here this morning, and you cannot, without a shadow of a doubt, say, Maris, I know that I am saved. If you've never, ever made a decision to surrender your life completely to Jesus, I'm not talking about growing up in church, going to Sunday school and hearing about Jesus. I'm talking about making a decision to follow Him, making a decision to die to your old life and to follow Him wholeheartedly. If there's anyone here while everyone's eyes are closed, I just want you to gently raise your hand. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to pray for you because this is a very significant moment. If you've never made that decision, just raise your hand and I just want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And so I want to pray for a second group of people as well. One of the things that really changed for me was when I was in a meeting where someone prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill every person in the room. And that moment I felt like as I was being prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit, suddenly everything changed about my perspective. Everything changed about how I 
looked at the word, how I understood the word, how I understood the things of the gospel, how I understood the cross, all these things that I've heard in church my entire life became new to me. It started to fall into place in my heart. The only way I can know how to articulate it is I received some type of new understanding. And I want us to be honest this morning. If you feel like you're you're in this place in your journey where you feel like you need new understanding. You feel like, I just feel stuck. I feel like I'm, I'm not living this life where I feel like I can see with the eyes that Jesus wants me to see, to perceive spiritual truth in a way that I need to perceive it, to fully walk out this life that Jesus has for me. I want you to just raise your hand because I want to pray a specific prayer for you. Paul said this in Ephesians 1, he said to the Ephesian church, not to the unbelievers, he said to the church, I pray that your eyes might be enlightened. The eyes of your heart might be enlightened and that you would be flooded with light by his Holy Spirit. I want to pray a prayer this morning and I want to encourage you, don't let opportunities like this go by because these are opportunities to be filled by the Lord. When the Lord wants to do something, like get into the river. Get into the river. If that is you, I want you to just raise your hand. If you want me to pray for your eyes of your heart to be enlightened, I'm praying it for myself in Jesus' name. I want greater revelation. I want to see Jesus for who He really is. I want you, if you raise your hand, I want you to stand this morning. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. Sometimes just a step of faith of standing says, Lord, I'm serious. Lord, I'm desperate. I need a touch from you. In fact, everyone stand. You can't afford not to receive a touch from the Lord. Church, we need to be hungry for the things of the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So I want to encourage you. We are not going to be a dead church. Jesus said, those who are hungry will be filled. Those who are thirsty will receive a drink of the living water and they will never be thirsty again. So I want you to raise your hands to heaven if you are hungry and if you are thirsty this morning. And we're going to pray a prayer just like Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. And for those who are hungry, you can repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning in my humanity. And I want to ask for a fresh touch from you. Lord, I cannot walk in any type of darkness. I need your light. Lord, I am here. And I want to pray that you enlighten the eyes of my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your light so that I can walk in your light, so I can walk in your guidance, so that everywhere I go, your light will dispel the darkness where I go. I ask for your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of counsel and might. And I ask for spiritual understanding. Open my eyes, Lord, 
that I might see you. Change my perspective today on my circumstances and of where you are taking me. Where you go, I will go. Guide me through your word like a lamp unto my feet. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Father, I want to pray over your church this morning. Lord, I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would move through every row, touching every heart, touching every eye. Lord, touching every single person in this room. I pray for our kids' church right now that are doing the same lesson. I pray that those little hearts would be set ablaze this morning. Lord, with your light, with the lamp, with your fire. Lord, I pray that you will raise up a next generation that would go into all sorts of dark places and bring the light of the gospel to those who need it most in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you will raise us up, that you will take us further. Lord, I pray for a spirit of boldness to come upon us as your children. Lord, if we don't go, who will go? Lord, Isaiah said, Lord, the Lord said, who shall I send? And he said, Lord, send me. And Lord, I pray that we will just have a new spirit of boldness. Lord, that we will not look at the world and get discouraged about all the things that are going on, but that we will see ourselves as the light, as the answer through Jesus Christ to go and be the light where it is dark, to go and be the change where we want to see the change. We pray for your church to be equipped like never before. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are busy with it. Lord, we thank you that we are in process. We thank you that we are not yet where we want to be, but thank the Lord we are not where we used to be. And we thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you for your light. And help us, Lord, to, to take your light wherever we go. May we be like a city on a hill in Vinduk, in Namibia. And may this nation be known, Lord, as the brightest city on this continent. Because your children are filled and flooded by your light. So we thank you for this word, Lord. We pray that you would send the water of your spirit throughout this week, Lord, to water every seed that we've received today. Make it a bigger revelation in our lives, Lord, and help us to walk it out. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. I pray a blessing over every believer in this room this morning. I pray a blessing over our children's church. May you protect us. May you be that pillar of fire that goes before us into this week. Thank you for the truth course, Lord, and thank you that you're going to take us deeper into your heart, into the truth, as you equip us to be your hands and feet. We thank you and we praise your name and everyone said, Amen.